Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli. I'm Lorelai Weissel. And I'm Chris Delano. And we are going to talk about the flavor gems of Ikoria today. So first we should note, because of COVID-19, Ikoria is out on Arena, but it is not yet out on paper. Except for, like, pre-release packs, I think, have been sent to stores. Something like that. Yeah, you can you can get pre-release packs at stores and take them home. And then the set will be out at the normal launch in a handful of locations in East and Southeast Asia, I believe. And then uh, most of the rest of the world in like a month. I don't remember the date. This has got to be the most bizarre launch in Magic history, but that's neither here nor there because we're not here to talk about that. <laughs> but go play Ikoria on Arena. You get a free draft. And we now have a player draft, so you can draft against seven other human beings and not bots. And it's really cool, and uh, doing every limited event you do gets you one of the uh, Godzilla series card styles. And uh, I think that's all the shilling I will do because I'm an arena dev because I write the scripts. So go listen to the new Planeswalker scripts because they're really good. And yeah, that's it hashtag watsy contractor and i want to encourage you to go to your local game store or not go there but go to their website or call them and pre-order the Aquaria products get your commander sets in i pre-ordered all five of the Aquaria commander decks because i realized i could not pick just one from my lgs and so they have it uh, on file for me and i'll get that in as soon as they're available I realized I said, like, shilling for Arena, as if I didn't also write for this set and this commander set. So, again, hashtag Watsy Contractor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's start with Mysterious Egg. So, the reason I picked the card Mysterious Egg to talk about is because it is such a great monster movie trope. Uh, there's always some, like, Mothra has that uh, whenever there's, like, a baby Godzilla there's frequently, you know, a mysterious egg component. Uh, I believe in one version, uh, it was like Rodan had claimed one of yes. uh, Godzilla's eggs. Yeah, yeah, that was in the Heisei version, right? Yep, the Heisei movie had uh, the the egg on Rodan's island. Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla two. Yes, yeah, so that that kind of thing regularly happens. People pick up this egg. I mean, all the way back to the movie Alien, uh, people find this egg. They're dumb, and they bring it home with them, and it hatches into a monster. And so it's just a perfect trope for Ikoria Lair of the Behemoths here. Speaking of Ikoria, how about some Planeswalkers? Uh, Because we have a card in the set, Blade Banish. Beautiful segue. (laughs) Well, it's fun, because the Wanderer is not from here. She doesn't even go here. She's only in one card. Yes, the Wanderer appears on the card Blade Banish. Uh, just just a single card in the set is not involved in the story, doesn't have a flavor text quote anywhere else, just one card has her, because her spark lets her planes walk uh, very quickly and without her control, so, you know, that's how she gets called the Wanderer, because she wanders around and is also mysterious. And it's just her cutting a nightmare in half, and it's so good. Uh, I, I was so excited when I saw this card in the file, I was like, oh my god, the thing is happening. The thing that I wanted to happen is happening. The wonder is just showing up on a card. Uh, I, I hope this is a thing moving forward. And um, I, I don't know if I would like want it every set. 
But like every couple sets, just throw in one card with the wonder. I think that would be awesome. And just like never have her matter to the story. That card brought me <laughs> so much joy to see it. Sh- like when it showed up and previewed, I was like spamming it in every Discord server. I was sending it to people just like wanderer, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, question mark. Yeah, I I <laughs> adore the character. Um, you know, as of right now, two authors have written her, me and Greg Wiseman and of all the characters greg wrote uh i i actually really enjoyed his wanderer uh she she's very similar to my wanderer uh i i adore writing her i want to see her again yes and the next card is also a white spell and it is called swallow hole and this is a sorcery that it i love these cards it's sort of playing on the trope of the person falling into the giant monster's mouth uh but it also plays out that way where you tap a creature that you control uh that's untapped and then you exile target creature and you put a plus one plus one counter on the creature you tapped, sort of implying that it gets bigger after it eats its prey. Uh, it's also uh, the flavor text is worlds better, worlds better with one fewer poacher in it. Uh, that's from Winota, <laughs> Winota, who is also in the set. And I love her. Um, but also it doesn't uh, say that you have to tap a non-human creature. So your human can just eat any other creature as well. Even another human. <laughs> Cannibalistic vor is valid. Dis- Disgusting. disgusting valid it's canon actually this is a great movie trope whether you're a lawyer in a jurassic park movie or god pretty much pretty much any movie involves some any monster movie involves someone getting eaten whole as far as this trope goes i, I think one of my favorite is in aliens when uh burke gets eaten by by a xenomorph who who broke through the wall when he's trying to escape because he's so sleazy He's so sleazy. <laughs> ah. That's what this set really needed is a sleazy, like corporate lawyer type. Well, so and I got that. We we don't we don't have like corporations. Uh, the monster hunters kind of take the sleaze role. So, uh, Cheville, Bane of Monsters, is one of the monster hunters, and I think the only legendary one in the set itself. Uh, there's another one in Commander, but uh, Cheville is like the uh if you've seen the rescuers down under uh the the poacher villain in that movie that that's basically what Cheville is like uh he's uh so someone i know commented that uh he looks so much like bruce campbell and i'm just like yeah i could see bruce campbell playing him in a movie like he's that kind of like poacher action movie villain uh it's perfect <laughs> um there's a, a handful of giant monster tropes though so like we got shark typhoon which is literally just a direct reference to sharknado <laughs> and is so fun legit the first sharknado is really an enjoyable movie and if you haven't seen it and you enjoy camp it is quite exquisite uh and then we also have voracious great shark uh which is a giant shark you know kind of like jaws and uh has flavor text that is a Jaws reference. There is no boat big enough in a reference to the line, we're going to need a bigger boat. You could say this set kind of jumped the shark. <sighs> no, on a Korea, shark jump you. You could you could also say that joke was easy prey. Yes, and the next card that we want to talk about is easy prey. Uh, this is one in a black for an instant to destroy target creature with converted mana cost two or less. So it is really targeting easy prey creatures that are small uh but the art is this delightful art of a a little like frog monster of some kind lizardy thing and this big old hunter who's behind him looking like he's about to scoop him up and cut him up with his blade 
And then behind the hunter, you can just see the <laughs> giant mouth of some sort of dinosaur about to scoop him up and eat him instead. And I love it because I hate the hunters. The little frog thing also has a bug in its hands. Uh, so, it's, it's, so it's actually four stages. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's one of my perfect. favorite arts in the set. It's so good. This card is so fun. Uh, you know, it, it, Corey had a lot of cards like this that were just like really like goofy. And, and it was it was fun. I liked it. Uh, it's from the artist Ekaterina... Uh, Burmak, who is a relatively new magic artist. Um, she just started with, I believe, the Guilds of Ravnica uh, guild decks, but I'm not positive. Might have been a little bit before then. So it's also representative of a trope in monster movies where uh, a, hun- a human character usually fo- finds like a smaller monster or like an earlier version of the monster. Uh, they kill it. They get, um, they, you know, they, they start to feel good because they're not they're not too worried about the monster anymore. They have they're relieved. Uh, and then it turns out it wasn't the real big scary monster at all. This happens in like Jaws when they find that first shark. Um, turns out <laughs> not quite the case. Uh, it happens in like Aliens when they find the facehugger and like, oh, it was just this, this monster. Um, so it, it occurs all throughout monster movies. Another trope that frequently appears is Unexpected Fangs, which is a card here that shows a, a monster randomly having these fangs that the, the what they weren't expecting in the battle. Uh, this kind of thing you see a lot in monster movies as well, where, oops, they have another weapon, uh, whether it's the alien's second jaw or Mothra's stinger from the new King of the Monsters movie. Um that kind of thing happens a lot. I mean, it, it, it's also emblematic of the, oh, oh, it's just a cute monster. And then it hurts something because uh, mm-hmm. this is like a prey creature attacking a predator. So uh, um, if you've seen uh, if you want to get into like monster comedy, uh, Evolution is uh, a movie that makes use of this uh, a couple times. That movie is that movie has no right being so good, but also it's like it's an Ivan Reitman picture so it's pretty good and david duchovny is amazing and orlando jones uh and julianne moore and dan Aykroyd has a small part in it and and sean william scott to to put a frame of reference for when the movie came out (laughs) sean william scott stars in it (laughs) it's very funny i believe it's on netflix right now and i really love the flavor text for the card as well it's one of our vivian reed flavor texts with the frequent mutations predator prey relationships seem to change every moment I already like it here. Vivian's so good. Oh, she's so good. I love these little looks into Vivian Reed. They, she's such a good character. Yeah, I, I got to put a lot of uh, lines like this into Arena. Um, but speaking of good flavor text, uh, we have another movie reference on Clash of Titans, which is actually a second movie reference. So the flavor text reads, Let the brutes fight. If they kill each other, we lose no more soldiers today. It's a quote from Ortheon, Lava Brink Captain. Uh, so this is a pretty direct reference to Dr. Serizawa going Let Them Fight in the 2014 Godzilla movie. And it's a monster set, so it makes sense. What else makes sense in a monster set is Footfall Crater, which, Jesus, like every monster movie ever, has that moment where like, either they discover the tracks or the tracks are so big they're like think they think they're in a crater or a depression of some kind and then the camera zooms out and they are in a giant crater created by the footfall of a monster yeah uh no it's a reference the original godzilla movie has uh 
there's a an unseen attack on Odo Island where they find a trilobite in the footprint. In terms of references to old magic sets, for the first time in magic history, a new brushwag has been printed. Almighty Brushwag uh, is, is now only the second creature to bear the Brushwag subtype. And it, I lost, I lost it when I saw this was in the set. And, and this is a set where I like lost it like once a week on something cool. And like one of my biggest excitement moments was seeing the Brushwag. So uh, they're just like little cat-like monsters that like live inside a big thorny plant-like poof that can poof up even bigger <laughs> it's just it's so cute and it's so good and i'm so glad it exists so the next card we're going to talk about is kagla the titan ape and this is one of my favorite references in the set i actually saw this artwork way back it was one of the first artworks i saw for the set uh because kagla is going to be in my book legends so this they is a would. reference to king kong on the Empire State Building, <laughs> and it is just so great on every level. But I love the twist that the uh, the human in its hand is not its captive, but its bonder. And they're using like one of the tallest structures around, the Crystal and Dranath, for it to hang off of. Uh, and then there are skyships floating around, just like King Kong is attacked by a bunch of uh, propeller planes. I'm going to set you up for an easy one here. Uh, why is this card not King Kong in the Godzilla series? Isn't King Kong a Toho product? No. I, I need you to <laughs> shut your mouth, Chris. Shut your mouth. No. So King Kong is owned by Universal. Le uh, Toho licensed King Kong way back in the 50s or 60s. Yeah. Legendary has licensed both King Kong and Godzilla um, from Toho. And that's why they're both going to be in a movie again later this year. Uh, it actually was supposed to be going um, alongside uh, this set was supposed to be released alongside the Godzilla vs. Kong movie. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Okay, like, this this whole episode is just going to be me doing movie recs. Go watch Kong Skull Island, the uh, the Legendary's uh, Kong movie. It, it's so it good. Is, it's so good. It is borrowing so many things that are crucial to King Kong lore. So when you talk about, like, the essence of a King Kong story... And, and references and stuff. There are a lot of things that the movie brings well, uh, brings forward and adapts. Um, there are also obviously a ton of new things because they're folding King Kong into their whole MonsterVerse series, and it's uh, you know they don't go back to a city. It all takes place on Skull Island. Um, it is really good. Also, Brie Larson is in it and is cute. Isn't Jack Black in that? No, that is in Peter Jackson's oh. King Kong, which is really long and pretty boring. Yeah, Peter Jackson yeah. make a movie under. It was like his hours. first project after Lord of the Rings <laughs> challenge. <laughs> make a movie under three hours challenge. He can't. He can't do it. Uh, so Narset of the Ancient Way is also in this set. She shows up in the full Jeskai colors because uh, when last we saw her, she had discovered the secret Jeskai archives that Shu Yun had sealed away before the Khan fall. And she has apparently mastered uh, the so, the ways of the soul fire, which is, I believe, the um, the red soul, the red fire. So soul fire is the white, mist fire is the blue, and blood fire is the red. Blood fire, yes. So she has probably mastered blood fire. 
Uh, that's why you see the red on her card. I'm very intrigued to see her interact on uh, Tarkir again in the future. But also of note is that we have a sort of semi-official age for her now in her 50s, uh, which is what the artist was directed by the art director for the piece. Yeah, uh, I, I've seen a couple of people um, be a little uh, complaining about that because she 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 looks 50 in this piece and she didn't in, in previous pieces uh one of the issues is uh her age is never established in canon women in games tend to get illustrated younger and more attractive than uh and are not allowed to age this isn't like directly throwing shade at any art directors or anything in particular it's probably something that just wasn't thought about but uh, I, you know, I, I love that we have more older female characters. Uh, you know, she she joins Jaya, who frankly doesn't do much. Although Narsa doesn't really do anything in the set, but but it, like it, it's just nice to have that kind of visual representation, and and to not have her be so like one of the things I don't like about the way older Jaya has been used is that she's kind of just become like a delicate old woman who doesn't do a lot of things, and is more like a grandma than the most awesome pyromancer the multiverse has ever seen who is supposed to be a criminal and have a great sense of humor and be really sarcastic and rude and she's none of those things anymore and i hate it um narset still gets to be uh, a martial arts master this is you know 50 year old narsa is still doing jump kicks in mountain ranges um she still gets to be badass which is awesome to see i love this piece instead of being painted younger and hot she gets painted older and hot Yes. <laughs> so uh, Offspring's Revenge is another monster trope I love. I love, love, love this trope uh, where they kill the monster. The monster is dead. But oh no, it had a kid. Um, and this is true of like Godzilla movies, uh, especially Godzilla versus Destroya. Oops, I just spoiled it. Um, where Godzilla Jr. takes over at the end. Hey, Jay. Um, and it's true of like the. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Yeah. You're allowed to spoil the endings of movies that came out 25 years ago. Oh, God. Thank God. Like the, the American Godzilla has a similar moment. The stinger for it is the. Uh, one of the Godzilla eggs, the Iguanodon. The Iguana Godzilla eggs is still alive. The, the, the this is to to clarify this is the TriStar Godzilla from 1998 not the legendary one the american yes the 1998 yes the the trope appears in a, in a lot of different monster movies and it's just one of my favorite things the lost world jurassic park also with the baby t-rex yes um, yes not necessarily a movie i recommend seeing but but this is now a julian moore episode cuz she is also in that <laughs> Um, so song of creation i'm just going to mention real quick uh there is more going on in ikoria in terms of like uh like the metaphysics of the place and are there gods what's like their nature spirits like outside of the elemental monsters we see song of creation is kind of a hint at a uh, the flavor of all that without actually getting too much into it because that would really distract from the monsters yeah there's there's some in-world uh mythology about things that's on some of the flavor text we'll talk a little bit about it later it's cool i want to go back to akoria so bad the the story here really focused on just the ozolith and its effect on the bonders and the monsters and luca specifically and 
It's such a good world. A really fun thing about Song of Creation is it is from artist Noah Bradley, and his wife, uh, Rachel, was the model for the central character, and she modeled wearing her wedding dress, making it a very personal art as well. Uh, yes, I believe uh, Noah said that they are not auctioning the painting because of that, and they are keeping it. I believe so. I believe they are keeping it for themselves. Which, if you want to put a number on the sentimental value of that piece, that is like thousands and thousands of dollars that could have gone for. They love each other so much, it's cute. Uh, <laughs> Um, and we're going to end this section with Sprite Dragon, because I can't stop talking about references to old magic things. So this is the first fairy dragon printed in Paper Magic. I say Paper Magic because the Microprose Chandelar game had a small subset of cards called uh, Astral Cards. They all had some kind of random effect. One of them was a card uh, called Fairy Dragon. This is a, a dragon fairy. Uh, these... Creatures also appeared in the Chandelar number one comic by Armada. They are the manifestations of Chandelar's mana and kind of guardians of the plane controlled by their um, planeswalker. Yeah, I, I mean, like, he's a, he's a guardian, basically. Keenan Sarmel, who has decided to protect Chandelar from intruders. And uh, one of them gets to kill Farallon, who... Uh, manipulates a bunch of people into a fight at the summit of the null moon and escapes the shard of 12 worlds to go to chandelar and then gloats and immediately dies because a fairy dragon overloads him with mana it is a fantastically humorous moment if you've read the comics and i'm not going to go into the whole backstory here because that would take forever go listen to our episodes on the ice age from way back at the beginning of the show <laughs> specifically episode where is it here oh, <laughs> episode two oh, wow <laughs> specifically episode two all right next we're going to talk about uh some of the mini stories that show up on the cards yeah and so uh i really love these cards anytime they show up in a magic set i love when you can trace a little tiny story between a certain number of cards uh, and that always requires at least two and so the first one i wanted to talk about is uh gustin's monster and so we were introduced to this card called Proud Wild Bonder, and it is a, it's one of the Bonder cards. It's a human who has a little monster in his art, and it gives something special to keywords. So this is the sort of trample person. He has trample, he's a 4-3, and he gives creatures you control with trample the ability to deal damage as if they were not blocked. And the flavor text says, you're little now, yes, but one day your footsteps will make mountains tremble. Gustin, Wild Bonder. And then later in the set, we get a card called Fully Grown, which is an instant in green. Uh, it makes it gives a creature plus three, plus three, plus three, plus three until end of turn and puts a trample counter on it and then has the wonderful flavor text. One day I woke up and I knew I had nothing left to teach her. So now I ride on her shoulders and follow where she leads. Gustin, Wild Bonder. And you can see the little tiny monster from Gustin's art from Proud Wild Bonder is now so big that Gustin is just riding on one of its horns. The next one is about the soldier and the dinosaur, which is like every bonding with a monster friendship ever. So there's Forbidden Friendship, where the dinosaur and the human uh, meet one another and realize they're not so different after all. But the world does not agree. And so Capture Sphere, the monster is taken. Um, but something happens. Presumably the human frees his friend and they have a cathartic reunion. 
Uh, this is true of so many great movies about bonding with an alien or a monster or whatnot, uh, that it's also kind of a trope besides just a little mini story here. It's nice. Um, and then finally, uh, we have some myths about the apex monsters and the history of the plane. So uh, Seb McKinnon did a cycle of uh, five arts that go on the mythos cycle of rares. These are the monocolored cards with the option to do something more powerful if you pay the whole wedge cost to them. Uh, these are huge traditional pieces Sep did. Uh, I, I believe he said they were the first traditional pieces he did for Magic that have like ancient wall paintings and then uh, uh, kind of uh, representative of origin mythologies of the Apex Monsters. And uh, you can see some of them in the background of the art in Bonder's Enclave, which is like a cave where uh, a Bonder and their monster are uh, training and growing closer together. So, you know, in in the novel, it talks about how, um, you know, bonding's been getting a lot more common over the last year, and they don't have a lot of, you know, recordings of it happening in Draneth. But, you know, out in the wilds, we can clearly see that this is something that has probably always happened on Ikoria. And it, it kind of fleshes out this unknown history of this wild and mysterious plane. And that's very cool. So real quick, let's each talk about the uh, the creature type we enjoyed the most this set. So Chris? So there are so many good creatures from this set, but I wanted to take this opportunity to talk about one that caught my eye immediately. So I have a roommate, and my roommate is a giant Godzilla fan, and she knows nothing about magic, but she is in love with the Godzilla series cards, and she keeps talking about them and asking me about them. And... I haven't shown her this card, uh, Ferocious Tigerilla. My roommate is also in love with tigers. She she just loves them. She's got tigers everywhere, but she's also terrified of gorillas. <laughs> so <laughs> the card Ferocious Tigerilla is a cat ape, and the art shows a gorilla uh, with kind of tiger claws and kind of tiger back legs and a tiger tail with the the classic stripe pattern on it uh, and it it's fun you get to kind of choose which keyword you want on it it enters with either a trample counter or a menace counter and the flavor text says from a certain perspective it's an inspiring story of overcoming obstacles i don't know exactly what that's referencing but all i can think about is tigers and apes getting together and i don't like it because apes have started to kind of scare me too the one i picked was porky parrot because besides the amazing name, the hilarious name, uh, it is a porcupine meets a parrot. <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, it is just hilarious looking. Uh, it is so colorful and pretty, despite being a abomination and crime against nature. Whatever created the tigerilla was also a crime against humanity. Every everything on Corey <laughs> <laughs> is a crime against nature. You can blame all the world building people for that, probably me included. Um, the the creature I wanted to call out is trumpeting Nar, not because of its creature type, but because of its name. Because Nar G H or uh, G N A R R is not the first time we've seen this word used on a beast. There are three cards from Dominaria, uh, the world, not the set. They're spread off across a couple older sets. Uh, Nar are these kind of lanky, elk-like beasts. 
And uh, this is just notable for being the first Gnar we have seen off of Dominaria. And I think that's cool. So we're going to move on to Commander 2020 here, and we're going to hit a few rapid fire. Uh, so the partners are all great in this set, but we wanted to call out uh, just two here. Trin and Silvar, which is a combination of a uh, dubiously moral woman who very much believes in her city and believes that the people she's luring out to get murdered by her nightmare cat is actually a good thing for her city. Uh, and there's also Brawlin and Shabraz, who are my my favorite yep. new pair, <laughs> which is the Sky Shark and her rider. Uh, and Gavin did a uh, interview with uh, Emily Tang from the world building team, uh, who talked a little bit about these characters. I also wanted to call out Nikara Lair Scavenger for being my wife. <laughs> Gavi Nestwarden is uh, Gavin Verhey's obvious, uh, <laughs> a little bit of a vanity touch there. Uh, if you take the name Gavi and add the first letter of Nestwarden, you get Gavin. She's also kind of the the trope of uh, the the monster eggs that hatch and imprint on a human, and now the human has to take care of them. It's very cute. Yeah, uh, she was also mentioned in that interview with Emily with Gavin, and she's not a bonder, which is really interesting. She just takes care of baby animals, baby monsters. I think she's really cool. Uh, the next Commander 2020 card, which is a Commander 2020 exclusive, uh, is Jarena Kudro. And Jarena, if you listen to our last episode, is the hero of the Sundered Bond book, in my opinion, and one of the coolest characters in Magic Story from recent past. I love her a lot. I'm excited to own a copy of her card because I think the character is so cool. Uh, and also, we know that she poops. <laughs> <laughs> she does. <sighs> I, I wanted to quickly call out Cathro Aspect Warper for being our first legendary ladybug in Magic. Ladybugs are my favorite beetle and one of my all-time favorite insects, so I am very excited. Uh, and there, there's also kind of like a loose cycle of uh, three cards that all represent uh, sanctuary defenses. So, um, you know, uh, Dranith, Skysail, and Lava Brink all have different ways of defending themselves from monsters. So uh, Dranith is this big walled city with this big military called the Coppercoats. So Call the Coppercoats is Dranith's way of fighting monsters. They have a massive army to defend the city. And they use the crystals to alert uh, to the position of the monsters. Which is what you see glowing there, like yep. a bat signal. Lava Rank Floodgates represents the series of canals that direct lava flows into a, a massive veiled curtain that can hide Lava Rank under the volcanic shelf that it sits under. It's so cool. It's so cool. So, uh, you know, you know, the card flavorfully, it's like, hey, it's this huge thing that... Uh, you know, channels magma, so it's a mana rock, but also we can open it up with the doom counters and use it as a board sweeper. So it is very functionally kind of a top-down magmatic floodgate. And then Decoy Gambit represents the Skysail technique. It's a collection of balloons all lashed together, and the city itself can break apart into smaller pieces to create uh, more targets than any one monster can hit. So, uh, you know, they could... They can send off a decoy balloon with nobody on it while, you know, the rest of the city breaks apart and escapes. And a monster, you know, tracks down a, a decoy. Yeah, just a decoy balloon. There, there's no one on that one. Don't worry about it. You put your relatives you don't like on that one. Yeah, that's the kind of feeling I get from Sky Sail, but 
maybe I'm just reading it a little differently. Uh, but the next card to talk about from Commander 2020 is Slippery Bog Bonder, which is sort of just a, a lovely little reference to a very popular modern deck and a very popular card in that modern deck, Slippery Bogle. So Slippery Bog Bonder is a 4-mana 3-3 three, three with a flash, and it has Hexproof, which is sort of the defining characteristic of the Boggles deck in Modern. And when it enters the battlefield, you put a Hexproof counter on a creature. And then you can move any number of counters from among creatures you control onto that creature. So just like the Bogle deck in Modern, you get to just sort of build up on top of one creature with Hexproof and hope that it gets there. And the art actually has a picture of a Slippery Boggle from uh it more closely to me looks like the ultimate master's art by jesper icing which is really funny to me because he did so much art for Ikoria and did not do the art for the card slippery bog bonder <laughs> yeah despite having done the slippery boggle um so something i want to call out real quick is the comic book showcases this time around uh, previously we got Theros God, like the Starry Nyx showcases. Before that, we got the storybook showcases. This time we're getting comic book showcases where actual comic book artists and some magic artists who d- double as comic artists, um, do a very comic booky style for a lot of the cards. I really like these a lot. And if it wasn't for the Godzilla series, which we're about to talk about, I would have been obsessing over these comic book showcases. What I do want to mention, though, is the Triomes, the comic book versions, are just some of the most gorgeous cards in Magic, period. Like, I need a set of these. Yeah, they're very good. Um, Robbie Trevino did the art for that. Uh, He is not traditionally a landscape artist. He talked on Twitter a little bit about uh, how difficult this assignment was for him. But uh, his his personal art style is, like, perfect for these cards. his uh some of the art he's done for himself uh i've seen it it is really cool it's he does all kinds of weird things with shapes and anatomy usually it's it's really neat stuff the godzilla series cards are honestly my favorite thing in this set and now it's time for me to check out because i almost know nothing about godzilla (laughs) i do have a very important question that i will pose when the time is right but otherwise i know almost nothing about godzilla that's okay, because Jay and I do. Oh, we know a lot. So Zalortha Strength Incarnate is the um, buy a box promo, but there isn't a real version of Zalortha. There's only the Godzilla King of the Monsters version. Uh, King of the Monsters is a title that's been with Godzilla basically from the beginning. The English title for the original film was Godzilla King of the Monsters. The Raymond Burr version, yeah. Um, and we see in that and well, as well in Godzilla Primeval Champion, the, the updated version from Godzilla Returns onward in the 1980s through 1998, I believe. Um, that is the, the Heisei version of Godzilla, uh, from that era. One thing that kind of amused me is that for most of these cards, uh, they are all monsters from the Heisei series and for the monsters that have multiple appearances throughout Godzilla history uh they are the Heisei versions of them so I'm I'm very curious why all the like the the late 80s and 90s monsters are the things that got used for the most part it's very curious to me it's my favorite version so I I'm (laughs) I'm happy about it um there's also Godzilla Doom Inevitable which is the Godzilla from Shin Godzilla 
who is uh, a movie directed by the same person who directed... Oh my god, I'm blanking on the name. What's the name of the really depressing anime? Created Evangelion. Evangelion, yes. So uh, if you want a dark and disturbing Godzilla, Shin Godzilla is your, your spot. Uh, Shin Godzilla is fascinating. Um, it's so much different than any other Godzilla movie ever made but so very similar in in theme and tone to a lot of other Godzilla movies. Um, Anno did such a good job making it something familiar, but also making it something new and something very Japanese. You know, this is at the same time that um, Legendary was doing the MonsterVerse stuff. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really glad to see Toho didn't see the success of the Legendary's Godzilla stuff and say, oh, we need to make our own and, like, try and copy it they made something that was like really uniquely uh japanese and and unique in tone um and i assume for jay uh very enjoyable because the whole movie is basically emergency preparedness and disaster response porn oh it's 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 emergency management porn 100 i'm glad you brought it up because it is no if you want to watch that movie it is the it's the disaster movie with the most realistic look at managing a disaster uh, that I have almost ever seen. Like they are, everything is correct in the way they do it. The work groups, the chain of command, the incident command structure, um, the emergency operations center, the backup emergency operations center. It was chef's kiss. Mwah, beautiful. Yeah. Why don't you start an emergency management podcast then? I should. <laughs> um, so our next card is Baby Godzilla, Ruin Reborn. So in the Heisei series, uh, you know, as we mentioned earlier, there is an egg that turns up in a Rodan nest and hatches into a, uh, like, six or seven foot tall little Godzilla dinosaur and uh, gets taken in by a bunch of scientists and they do some research. And then at the end of the movie, this is Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla 2. Uh, at the end of the movie, goes off with Godzilla to the island of the south pacific and then in godzilla vs. space godzilla the next movie because of the radiation on the island from natural uranium deposits uh the baby godzilla has grown up into little godzilla who is depicted on this card and yes i have a problem that this card is called baby godzilla and not little godzilla because they are licensed differently. Mm -hmm. they are marketed differently uh toho has these little circular images for each of its monster licenses and Baby Godzilla and Little Godzilla are separate ones. And then uh, in the next movie, he gets like to become like 40-meter mini-Godzilla called Godzilla Jr. They are three separate characters, <laughs> legally. I don't like that this Marla has... has... I don't like has it. Has anyone called you a dork lately? Uh, all the time. Everyone in Autumn <laughs> Server is so mean. No, I'm 100% with Lorelai here, though. <laughs> oh so God. Baby Godzilla looks like more like the Godzillasaurus that the... Uh, 1990s godzilla was mutated from and then in little godzilla is what this one looks like which also looks like minilla who is also a separate character from the showa era uh <laughs> that is the <laughs> 50s 60s and 70s godzilla films godzilla's kid was named manila unless you're a fan of the hanna-barbera cartoons and then his name was godzuki Toho does not own Godzuki, though. <laughs> oh, my God. No, that's a Hanna-Barbera thing. That's why we've never seen Godzuki again. 
So anyway, uh, speaking of eggs, things that come out of eggs, so we get Mothra's egg as a adaptation of Mysterious Okay, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt because you say, speaking of things coming out of eggs, I'm just thinking about the Sonic movie because Robotnik has a whole scene that leads up to the punchline of the scene being him opening his arms wide open while a bunch of drones fly out and he shouts, look what came out of my egg sack. And it's just very funny, <laughs> and everyone go see the Sonic movie. It has nothing to do, of all the movie wrecks in this episode, this has nothing to do with kaiju or monsters or anything, but the Sonic movie was really, really good. Well, don't go see it. Stay home and see it. It's on demand. Can't wait for the Sonic series cards and magic when we get a Jace the Mind Sculptor, but it's Sonic. So Mothra hatches <laughs> from an egg. We mentioned that or We mentioned that earlier, actually, when we are talking about the monster tropes. Uh, and it has this larval form. Then when the larval form gets its butt kicked enough, which is usually what happens to it, uh, it cocoons itself. And so that's what you're seeing in this Mothra's egg card or this cocoon card. Yeah, I, I don't actually know what the English name of the card is. It's one of the Japanese exclusives, although the, there's three Japanese exclusive, although they have English names in Arena. And I can't actually remember what the three English names are for these cards, but nah. yeah, it, it doesn't matter all that much. Um, and then it becomes Mothra, Supersonic Queen, which is also the uh, sort of 90s version. Although Mothra's design has been probably the most stable of any of the kaiju um, yeah. over the last 50 years. You don't mess with perfection. Other, other than the Rebirth of Mothra series where that design was still used as the mother who dies and gives birth to the son, Mothra Leo. Yeah, it, the Mothra's design has been consistent, at least in the Toho films. It's also on the card that most a accurately represents the uh, the creature that it's been put on top of. So Luminous Broodmoth was an obvious Mothra reference if there wasn't a Godzilla series card that pointed it out like this. There's also Batra, which is the one on Dirge Bat. Um, Batra is basically the genocidal version of Mothra. Like 10,000 years ago, some ancient humans created like a, a weather control device. Mother Nature got mad. And instead of having Mothra, who is the defender of Earth, created Batra to wipe out humanity. Mothra didn't take well to that. Seals Batra away. Batra gets awoken again in the present. Um, they have some fights until Godzilla shows up. And then they end up teaming up to bring Godzilla out into the sea. Batra sacrifices itself for uh, its sister. And uh, that's the end of Batra. We've never seen that one again. You know Batra is the opposite of Mothra because he's like way more effective and intimidating as the caterpillar than as the moth. So then we have Biollante, who was Godzilla's first antagonist in the 80s and 90s series. Uh, Biollante is... <clears throat> Bear with me here. So a, uh, a bioengineer for plants splices his psychic daughter's dna into a rose she was that psychic. rose died she wasn't psychic. oh okay well uh, his his daughter's dna into a rose um the rose died so he decided to create it again using godzilla cells to make it immortal well that went about as well as you can expected uh can expect and it kept evolving over time until it became this like what you see on this card here biolante plant beast form godzilla and biolante fight biolante kind of gets disintegrated its spores go up into space um and it's gone happily ever after right uh so the psychic thing is this is the movie that introduces the character of uh, mickey sagusa who is a uh psychic and repels godzilla from osaka i believe in the movie and then is a Something staple like in the rest of the heisei films this is a recurring character 
so then Space Godzilla uh, appears in Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. Godzilla titles are usually easy to understand who appears in those films. The only thing easy to understand. (laughs) (laughs) So Space Godzilla, uh, Death Corona, and BioQuartz Space Godzilla both represent this Space Godzilla. Uh, And it's worth noting, um, the Death Corona name is only appearing on the first printings of this card in paper. Um, it's a really unfortunate title. You know what with the state of the world, gestures vague gestures vaguely. Um, the all the secondary printers printings of this series will have uh, the name Space Godzilla Void Invader. But death so Godzilla Space Godzilla's breath weapon is called the Corona Beam. Um, you know, like the Corona around the sun because it's like space radiation. Um, so, like, this is why I'm disappointed about the Baby Godzilla name. Because, like, they went with the deep cut on Death Corona, but then used the wrong legal name for Little Godzilla. Uh, and and that is disappointing to me. I wonder how much of that is they, they, they sent it to the artist, and the artist, like, Googled it and found the, and just picked the wrong image. I don't know. Toho would not let that happen. Uh, I I'm, true. I am actually curious if it's a if it was Toho influence because um, they are very protective of their IPs. I don't know. Anyway, Space Godzilla. Why this matters is when uh, well, first of all, let's explain what Space Godzilla is. So there are two theories. The one the one that works better is that it's the Biolante cells that go into space get irradiated by a black hole and become this new space godzilla uh the reason we believe that is because space godzilla has like the same tusks as biolante and has um like telekinetic powers and other things that would indicate uh, that it's probably based on biolante anyway it shows up and promptly kidnaps little godzilla or what looks like the baby godzilla card um, and the whole movie is it just shows up, kidnaps the baby, and then Godzilla has to come get his son back. Uh, that's basically Space Godzilla. He's just Godzilla with crystals all over him and space powers. I mean, it's it's pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty cool. I like his design a lot. There, there's also um, BioCourt Space Godzilla. We got two Space Godzillas in this set. Yeah, I, I like Space Godzilla, so that's a, I, that was a nice treat. Destroya is my favorite kaiju, though. I have a non-Godzilla kaiju. I have a Destroya plushie that is just adorable. Oh, that sounds very cute. You will have to send me a picture at some time. Destroya Perfect Life Form is uh, just a great card. But basically the history on Destroya here is in the way, way back in the original Godzilla um, from 1954, Dr. Sarazawa had been creating a weapon of mass destruction called the Oxygen Destroyer. They end up using that to kill the original Godzilla. That gets retconned in every future movie, because obviously Godzilla keeps showing up for the most part. I will debate it being retconned by in the Heisei series, but that also has time travel shenanigans, so I won't go there. True. The uh, Destroyer was formed from the Oxygen Destroyer, basically affecting the deep sea uh, aquatic life. I, Lorelai, you'd know better than me what, what to call the, the creatures it affected. They're Precambrian crustaceans, is, is how they're described in the movie. These Precambrian crustaceans are able to merge and become larger and larger until they become a monster that's as big and stronger than Godzilla. This is also the movie where 
uh, Godzilla is melting down. So if you've ever seen the Godzilla that's like orange and its body is glowing orange, that's what this film's from. Um, King of the Monsters referenced this when he got the nuclear power up and went back to fight King Ghidorah. Um, but yeah, Destroya is just super cool looking. Uh, next up is Zangiris Armored Killer. Uh, this is the first monster that Godzilla ever fought in the second film, which was made, I think, like six months after the original, called uh, Godzilla Raids Again. Angiris is just another kaiju that exists, and, uh, you know, forget nuclear allegories, we's a monster fighting franchise now. Um, and then later <laughs> in the show, a series, Angiris kind of becomes a friend of Godzilla and, and partners against him to fight Gigan and King Ghidorah at different points. And, uh, is a good pal. So he's like the Vegeta of the of the Godzilla universe. No, no, Vegeta's actually powerful. Angiris gets his ass kicked a lot. He he is the Yamcha of the Godzilla yes! universe. He is absolutely <laughs> oh, no. the Yamcha. That is perfect. He's he's the first he's the first person Godzilla fought. They became friends and he gets his ass kicked in every movie, every part ever since, every fight ever after. God, uh, I guess I have to talk about the Dorats and the time travel now. Uh so in, oh, God help us. In the 1992 incarnation of King Ghidorah, um, I'm, I'm going to combine uh, Dorat the Perfect Pet and Ghidorah, King of the Cosmos, together. Uh, so, in 1992, in the Heisei series, uh, time travelers from the future come back in time and say, Oh no, Godzilla's going to destroy Japan in the future. We have to go back in time to stop the dinosaur that became Godzilla from getting nuked so Godzilla isn't created and Japan survives. So they do that. But they, instead of just transporting Godzilla away, they leave these genetically modified organisms called Dorats that they can perfectly control. And they're these cute little dragony things. Uh, they leave three of them on the island. And then they go back to the future. Or back to the present. Um, dun, 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 dun. And then uh, instead of... Okay, movie wreck time, go watch Back to the Future. It's fantastic. <laughs> Gotta go back in time. Sorry. Uh, I can't believe you're singing Back in Time and not Power of Love. <laughs> I love Huey Lewis in the news also, but that's a whole other thing. We'll do music recs in another podcast. Okay, back <laughs> to the actual topic. Uh, so instead of the Godzillasaurus getting nuked and turning into Godzilla, the Dorats get nuked and turn into King Ghidorah. And surprise, the time travelers are evil, and they're using King Ghidorah to destroy Japan because in the future, Japan gets so rich it starts buying up other nations. And honestly, this is a good plan because nation states should not buy up other nation states. That's horrifically dystopian. Don't do that. I side with the time travelers here. Godzilla ends up be forming anyway because a nuclear submarine goes down in the 80s. And uh, then Japan has a secret nuclear submarine that they're not supposed to have. That they try to create a new Godzilla, but there's already Godzilla. So he eats the nuclear submarine, gets bigger than he's ever been before. Fights King Ghidorah, destroys his middle head, rips his wings. Ghidorah's lying almost dead in the ocean. They go, the one-time traveler who's Japanese and was like, oh, wait... I forgot our plan was bad. I'm going to be good now. Goes back to the future, revives the King Ghidorah, and, and builds Mecha King Ghidorah, who can also time travel and travels back to the present to fight Godzilla and, and remove him from Tokyo, and then gets ruined and put at the bottom of the ocean, and then it's dredged up in, uh, two movies later uh, to use the future technology that gets built into Mecha Godzilla, and it's a whole thing. And like that, Mechagodzilla too. That is, that is <laughs> not made up at. That is literally just canon. The movie's absurd. There will be a test. There will be a test. Uh, so King Caesar, 
Uh, King Caesar, King Caesar. So King Caesar comes from the original can, Mechagodzilla can we, movie. Can we not use the the anglicized butchering? It's it's King Caesar. King Caesar. Built off the Japanese name Shisa. He's a he's a guardian lion monster. Come on. Yeah, it's actually kind of perfect there. So he is a guardian lion of Okinawa. Is it? Uh, That's what the I don't remember exactly. Like there there was a specific castle that he was a guardian of. This is the original Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Yeah, he um, he is revived and helps Godzilla defeat Mechagodzilla. The original Mechagodzilla, who was an alien monster, uh, an a- created by aliens to uh, impersonate Godzilla at first. He was wearing a Godzilla suit, and I cannot make that up. He also reappears in F- Godzilla Final Wars, which is the time don't talk about of it. Godzilla movies, which don't we talk talked about, about before. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about Rodan? Uh, I'd much rather talk about Rodan than Godzilla Final Wars. For what it's worth, Final Wars had a really good Rodan design. Uh, This is uh, Rodan, Titan of Winged Fury. Uh, This is the Heisei series Rodan design, but um, Rodan actually had his own movie. And by his, I mean his and hers. Uh, The original Rodan movie has a a couple uh, of Rodans that hatch and are awakened and uh, thrash around. And then in uh, Ghidorah, the Three-Headed Monster, which introduced King Ghidorah, um, is the first time that Godzilla, Rodan, and Mothra all got together and fought as allies. Uh, Mothra also had her own original movie. Uh, Toho did a whole bunch of kaiju films in their own IPs, and then a lot of them slowly got worked into the Godzilla Sh- Sh- Showa series. A huge shared universe well before the Marvel. Uh, so Rodan's obviously a pterosaur. Uh, in the Heisei series, uh, hatched out of an egg in the Bering Sea by mysterious singing psychic plants that grew on the egg uh and then for some reason develops a heat ray like godzilla and then sacrifices himself to revive godzilla after he's killed by mecha godzilla but nearly killed his second brain is blown up it's a whole thing (laughs) the long story short of godzilla movie plot summaries is it's a whole thing (laughs) rodan obviously is one of the more popular monsters he looked so he was so good in godzilla king of the monsters last year Oh, so cool. He came out of a volcano. It was the coolest thing. They, they come out of volcanoes in the original film, um, Mount Asso. The original's actually really fun. It skews a little more horror movie-ish. Uh, and then there's Gigant, Cyberclaw Terror, who in the Showa series is an alien monster uh, who is uh, a cyborg and created to take over Earth. And in Godzilla Final Wars, which is uh, what this design is from, uh, Gigant is an alien monster cyborg created to take over Earth. Oh, I guess that's the same. Uh, <laughs> I, I Okay, I, Final Wars did like two things right, and it was the Rodan design and the Gigant design. The Gigant design is so good. Uh, I love Gigant. Gigant's such a cool monster. He has a buzzsaw in his chest and hooks for hands. In Godzilla Final Wars, the the hooks get replaced with chainsaws later in the movie. Like, each hand is double chainsaws. It's ridiculous. And then he keeps operating when his head gets cut off by Mothra. And then Mothra, and then kills Mothra, but she's on fire and then rams him and explodes. It's, It's so good. Gigant's very cool. I can't but like... Cyberclaw Terror is also one of the best epithets I've ever seen on a magic card. And then we'll end with Mechagodzilla, who's uh, the last of the Japanese exclusives. Uh, This one depicts the Millennium Series version of Mechagodzilla named Kiryu, the A Spirit Dragon. Uh, The three different series are are different canons. So, uh, you know, like we said, the original Mechagodzilla was an alien 
machine built to take over Earth. In the Heisei series, they build Mechagodzilla out of the future technology salvaged from Mecha King Ghidorah. In Godzilla against Mechagodzilla and Godzilla Mothra Mechagodzilla Tokyo SOS, because they gave up on trying to give shorter titles and just transliterated the Japanese titles. <laughs> Uh, Kiryu is built around the skeleton of the original Godzilla. So so in this version of events, the Oxygen Destroyer liquidates all the skin and muscle and tissue and stuff, but leaves the original skeleton. So they, they, build, uh, they build a robot around it that is, instead of working in binary, it works in a base 4 system to integrate with the DNA in the Godzilla skeleton. Uh, which means Kiryu goes berserk when it hears Godzilla's roar because, like, the Godzilla part of the cyborg takes over and it goes on a city-wide rampage. That scene is really cool. And then his battery runs out in one of the best shots in the Millennium series is, is Kiryu shutting down and it's just this really wide shot against uh, the silhouetted against the sunset. It's very good. That set of movies uh, are kind of their own canon with the original and uh they end with kiryu returning to the ocean uh because the skeleton belongs in the water because uh kiryu's an abomination it violates the respect of the dead and that's the whole episode holy crap <laughs> yeah that was quite an episode so let's move on to final thoughts because <laughs> that was a hefty one uh, my final thought is for everyone to stay safe. I know a lot of you are taking precautions about COVID-19 uh, when you're going out, or maybe you don't have a choice to work. Please make sure to look at the uh, CDC guidance and maybe your state and local health department's guidance about what you should do, what you should wear. Um, a lot of you, if you're not a healthcare worker or experienced with that kind of stuff, uh, you may not be familiar with how to actually wear PPE properly, and you could just endanger yourself more um, by using it improperly and acting as if you were safe. Um, so please just be careful, read up on whatever you're using to make sure you understand it, and wash your flipping hands and don't touch your face. That's all I got. Uh, my final thought is, I'm not your mom, so do what you want. Uh, my final thought is, at the beginning of the Godzilla series discussion, I mentioned I had one important question. And I still okay. have it, and I want to pose it. Why is Gigan hot? Oh, so there was a tweet that went around on Twitter. There, there were there were two uh, Gai, uh, Godzilla Final Wars Gigan statues, and someone was just like, "Why did they have to make Gigan so sexy?" And like, it's not kidding. The way so like the suit is really shapely. It's it's d defined pretty well to a human form, which is kind of unusual for monster suits. And so Gigan has, like, really nice thighs and a nice slender body uh, and, and just, like, good shapely legs. And, like, for some, for, like, no reason. Uh, and and that's valid. Gigan is valid. Sometimes you just got to be hot and covered in spikes. Gigan, Gigan is a he-him lesbian. Big fan of that interpretation of the character. And if you, too, are a he-him lesbian... Well, I was going to say if you two are a fan of he, him, lesbians, but uh, you don't necessarily have to be. Just if you're a fan of our show, uh, head over to patreon.com slash cast because if you want to help support us, you can over there. Uh, everyone's support keeps the show running week after week, and everyone who does donate gets access to our Discord community, where we have Vorthoses from around the world discussing Ikoria, playing Ikoria now that it's out on Arena, playing Animal Crossing because Animal Crossing is amazing. We're all uh, having a good time, making the best out of quarantine that we can. So we would love to have more folks in the community. And, uh, you know, if 
if you want to donate in that join, that's also your prerogative. No one's going to force you. And if you just want to sit there at home and listen, we super duper appreciate you. We like when the numbers go up on our accounts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.